everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And I got a really fun email because I was reading the email and uh, it said that Horst Schultze, who founded the uh, Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group, wanted to come on the podcast. And I got to tell you, Horst, I was so excited to talk with you. And then I looked into your background and saw the journey that you have come through from a small town in Germany to what you were able to accomplish. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. And you've come up with this new book, Excellent Wins. And you know what? This is just going to be such a great conversation. But thank you so much for the life you've lived to model to the rest of us and making the time to come on the the Eternal Leadership Podcast, Horst. John, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm, I appreciate that you have me. Yeah, now, I would love to start with this story, because you're growing up as a boy in Germany, right? And I heard yeah. you once tell a story about you were observing, you wanted to get into the restaurant or, you know, the hotel industry. It fascinated you. But there was this one point, and you were observing a Mater D going about his work and his business, and there was something about that that just was kind of a profound moment for you, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually working in that restaurant for a couple of years already, when all of a sudden, and I had been told that we are not important, the guests are important, in fact, they're very important people who come into that restaurant, and we are servants. And to understand that, not be envious and so on. One evening, I came. I have seen it before, but I came to the realization when my maitre d went to a table, the guests were proud that he came to them. And I realized, whoa, that is a reversal. And then I all of a sudden realized, they all are. And so the guests think that he's the most important person in the room. So did we, the employees. So consequently, I happened to... Uh, have to write an essay for business school. Once a week, I went to school. I worked there as a busboy, as a dishwasher. Right. Once a week, that's a typical German upbringing. So I thought to write about that feeling that I had uh, in that essay. And I wrote it, and I named that essay, We Are Ladies and Gentlemen, Serving Ladies and Gentlemen. I went on to say that we are not servants. If we do our job exceptional, like that melody, that we can define ourselves as fine ladies and gentlemen, no matter what job we are doing, if we do that job with great excellence, that we can define ourselves. Any one of us can define ourselves as being excellent, as human beings, as professionals, if we create that excellence. And that was kind of the story I wrote. And incidentally, because I got an A, the first A I ever had, it stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> and I consequently made it the motto of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company when we formed that company. And I said, that's our motto. We are all ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. We are not servants unless we are sentencing ourselves to be servants, to act like it. Oh, but if we act... Profession, excellent, done, we are ladies and gentlemen. That was the message. And what did you find that it took, the difference between people that approach any kind of job, right? Whether I'm a maid, a cook, a CEO, right? And I'm approaching it from a place of either excellence or, you know, this is just something I need to get through. I mean, there's a lot of employees out there. I just saw a survey horse here in America 
74% of, of Americans on Sunday night thinking about their job ahead literally have a physical or mental-like reaction, stress, right, stomach cramps. So yeah. I'll guarantee you they're not going yeah. to work thinking, okay, how can I serve? I'm so excited this week to do great work. And what is that shift that needs to happen? It's a two-sided shift. Number one is the environment that in which the leadership organization is involved. But the other shift is the personal leadership. Make the decision for excellence. Make the decision that you're in charge of. I mentioned in our conversation earlier that I just had my 40th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Now, and that I am still in love with my wife. I don't only love my wife. I'm still in love with my wife. That is a decision I made a long time ago, and then I work on that decision. We try to always forfeit our leadership of ourselves towards somebody above us. The most important leadership is, is I leading myself. Mm. I lead myself to enjoy my job, if they like it or not at my job. <laughs> I, mean, right. I have to make a decision. I'm going to like it, and I find positive in people and everything around me. So there is a dual issue here. And of course, organizations have to create an environment in which people can lead themselves. And that is the leadership of people, the leadership of by the boss. That's a different leadership. But even if he or she are not doing it, I still have a responsibility to lead myself to enjoy what I'm doing and be excellent at what I'm doing. What does, you know, when you're working with people, new employees, managers, how do you uh, explain to them what leading themselves looks like? Well, first of all, I have to create that environment. The problem, and that's a leadership problem, and a company leadership problem. We hire people to fulfill certain functions, mm-hmm. and which in itself is not right. We should hire them, select them to join an objective, to join a dream, to join the vision of the organization. I mean, the chair in which you're sitting, and I, is fulfilling a function. But we are hiring human beings. We should hire them to join a purpose and give them purpose. Now the environment changes. And of course, that is the leadership of the organization. Give them purpose and show them how the motive of the purpose that the organization has, mix matches the motive an individual has. Growing, have opportunity, be respected, be excellent, be known as excellent. All that an individual wants, and at the same time be part. And that, all those are leadership issues, which is a major issue in America, I believe, in the West. I yeah. believe we have a leadership crisis. Yes, I believe we have a leadership crisis also in what are your thoughts on actually what we can do? I mean, everyone listening right now to actually start addressing this leadership crisis that we find ourselves in. Well, first of all, if we are leading people, let's understand that the people. We, let's understand that those people, all of everybody, wants purpose. In fact, Aristotle wrote three thousand years ago or so that people, in order to be happy, need a purpose mm-hmm. and need to belong. So if you had to understand that as a leader of an organization and now hire people to be part of something and belong, 
that's the first step. And then, I have, of course, I have to align them, keep them involved, keep, give them a feeling that they're part of something. So the whole setup is the right selection, the right orientation, where I orient people, who we are, what our customer wants from us. That is called alignment. Unfortunately, alignment is a buzzword in companies. Mm. If the employee doesn't know where the whole company wants to be in two, three years and why, what's the motive, and doesn't understand what the customer is expecting from the company, the employee is not aligned. And then we talk about empowerment. That's another buzzword. Right. And it, once I have aligned them, I can now say, I expect you to make the right decision in your area so that we accomplish our objective. That's empowerment. And, but all those passwords don't help if, if we leadership don't offer the environment where they can live those words. Now, what did you, you know when you hire people? Talk a little bit about your hiring process, right? Because a lot of employers see uh, employees yeah. as a, you know, a tool, a means to an end to accomplish some kind of production or process or, you yeah. know, accomplish a task, right? Yeah. That has never function. been... To fulfill a function. Right, right. And that has never been your approach ever when you're hiring people. So I'd love for you to share kind of the mindset behind how your organization does actually hire people. And what does that look like? Yeah, well... In the book, of course, I, I break that down very carefully, how to organize that, how to create the processes around it. But in shorter words, instead of hiring, you should select. We created a selection process where we, under, after profiling the talent needed in each job category and identifying the right profile for any, every job category, we hired against, we selected against that profile. So my percentage of having better employees has went from 50-50 to about 75-25. So with other words, I head with the game now. The next step in the process was orientation, where we didn't turn over the employee to a particular job function. We oriented them who we are the first day. Here's who we are, what we think, our motive, our objective of to the future and the motives that we have for those objectives. We align the employee to that. Then we align the employee to, here's what our guests expect from us. We align, taught them that. The next day, we taught them 20 points, 20 key points, and all that is explained yep. in detail in the book, 20 key points which we knew if we do those 20 things superior to the competition, we will be a superior company. And the result, frankly, was that in every location, we went as Ritz-Carlton, in every culture, we were in many countries, we became the absolute leading hotel in that culture. Mind you, every hotel is a separate business because it's, the buildings are owned by somebody else, by different people. We just managed those buildings. But we became the leader in each location by that philosophy of selecting the right employees, aligning them, being part of them. And then, of course, the next step was teaching the function. Of course, the function has to be taught. But yeah. that was the third thing we did. And that was a key element. We took those 20 points yep. that, was, that were essential, and we repeated them and repeated them. 
every 20 days, you could not go to work without hearing the gold standard, we call them the gold standard, the gold standard of the day. For example, today may be in every location, in every hotel, in every shift, mind you, with 24-hour business, you would have possibly 0.11. If you get a complaint again, you own it. 20 days later, you will hear it again. You cannot go to work without being re-explained. So, in other words, our people were truly aligned to who we are, what we think, and what we do. And what did you do? Because I've been part of some companies that, you know, have some of those points, right? And it becomes like some people kind of roll their eyes at, let's say, those 20 points. Uh, and like what you did, though, you have people that say that 20 point and they embrace it and they're bought in. What do you think the difference is in how you're approaching it where people are like excited about this and they're bought in as part of this and the culture and the team that they're a part of? My key element is to teach them those points the first two days that they're at work. Mm -hmm. Because the first two days, there is a significant emotional event where people buy into things. So they're bought in indirectly already. Besides that, when we explain them every day, we don't just read the point. We connect them to some kind of an experience that a guest had, maybe a guest letter, a comment, or an employee. We connected those points every time to another experience. So it wasn't just words that somebody read. They were alive. We brought mm. them alive. And mm -hmm. there was excitement about it. So that's essential key. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Ritz-Carlton is known for their service. And just getting to know you, Horst, you said this, the power of caring for others determines our success. And how we care for people is paramount. And I believe that sure. the level of service that your employees pour out, because I've stayed at your properties in Ruth Carlton, it's my favorite place, and it is definitely a different experience. But I believe that that comes from you and your team and what the culture that you created about actually probably how you're treating each other internally, and then that just flows out naturally into how they're, the people that work there are treating others. Is that accurate? Yeah, well, sure, sure. We also... And we have done many things. Mind you, I'm gone from Ritz-Carlton quite a number of years, but the culture continues. Yep. And during my time, we were voted best hotel company in the world, etc. ongoing. The culture is, number one, repeated, but we always connect the motive to the motives of the employees. First of all, mm. when we established the vision of the company or any change or any new applying of systems or whatever in the company, we question ourselves, first of all, is this good for all concerned? Is this good for the guest, number one? Is it good for the investor? Is it good for the employee? Is it good for society as a whole? And we agonized about that. And once the determination was made, yes, it is good for all concerned, then we applied it. Then we first tested it and then we applied it. So we knew that this value is good for every employee. But in leadership, consequently, I could not compromise it because it is good for all concerned. So I couldn't compromise it. And that was all explained the first day at work when they came to work. In fact, in the first 50 Summerage Carlton hotels, no matter where it was, if that was Shanghai, Hawaii, or Philadelphia, 
I explained this. I went there. I was there the first, the 50 or it's gone. So this was so important to you, Horace, that you went there in person to do new employee orientation at all these properties. Exactly. And I spent every new property, the first 50 or so, I spent about 10 days explaining that and then helping to teach the employee, connecting to an employee. They didn't think of them anymore up there in the corporate office. They knew it was I. Yeah. That showed them yeah. a little bit how to wash a dish and how to make a bed and show them why and show them how beautiful it is our dream, how beautiful it is and how good it is for all concerned, etc. So it is the personal, they knew it wasn't the buzzword coming from some strange person, mysterious person in a corporate office. They knew there was somebody, a human being that explained it to them personally. Well, yeah, and you also talked earlier about empowerment. And I know, like, the busboy oh, yeah. in the uh, restaurant, you empowered every yes. one of your employees up to $2,000 yeah. in their own world <laughs> to make a situation right. And they had the ability to do that, even an 18-year-old busboy. I'm sure that in that industry, this was probably pretty controversial. What led to that? <laughs> John, you cannot imagine the fireworks that created when I said, <laughs> here's what we're going to do. That created fireworks. Mind you, every hotel owner, mind you, again, the hotels are owned by individuals. We manage right. them. The owners are screaming, you want the busboy to give $2,000 away? That's not what I wanted. It right. was a careful, analyzed situation. I realized we knew that our average age at the time of our guest was 43 years old. We knew that they would travel for another 25 to 30 years. We knew how often the business travelers repeated in our hotels. So I knew the value of a customer. And it was about $200,000 lifelong. So I made a decision, I don't want to lose a customer. In fact, in my opinion, a company does four things. Number one, keep the customer, keep the customer, make them loyal. Number two, get new ones. Number two, get money from the customer for be efficient. But number one, that cannot be encroached on. So since that was number one in my mind, I was willing to invest if an employee, if a guest has a problem, that I am going to spend some money if necessary to keep that customer loyal. That was the point. I want to keep the customer. So. It was, of course, a talk teaching. Uh, John, nobody ever gave $2,000. Uh, things happened like the guest comes down for breakfast and the waiter says, I hope you had a nice night. And the guest said, no, my toilet didn't work. And so I'm upset about it. In this moment, the waiter owns the toilet. You see, as I explained in the book, to every employee was a certified in problem resolution. We teach him all. We taught them. So he was taught to say, forgive me. I'm sorry. And puts his arms around and said, I am so sorry. In fact, I feel so bad I buy breakfast. In that moment, that guest became loyal. Yeah. Because of a problem became loyal to us. This was very carefully analyzed and very carefully introduced and taught. Yes, everybody was in, is empowered up to $2,000. Everybody. Nobody gave $2,000, but they bought breakfast, they bought a glass of wine, they, bought, they sent chocolates or they sent a fruit basket to apologize. 
And, you know, what we have to understand here, that's important, that 96% of complaints, the guest only wants to get rid of their frustration. That's all. And they want someone so to listen you, and you, acknowledge them, right? Let, no, not say I'm calling the manager. Yeah. Not say I'm calling the manager, but saying, please forgive me. And then they're nearly embarrassed that they even complained. And then, you, what do you mean? I buy your breakfast? That, it, that overwhelms them. You have no idea the response of guests who experience those things is overwhelming. They are all loyal. Those that experienced that became loyal rather than leaving the hotel being upset. They left the hotel being amazed. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. You've heard that old Harry Truman quote, leaders are readers, right? Well, John and I are big fans of a service that we subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, hence the name Blinkist, and most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People. Or if you want to brush up on your marketing, how about Purple Cow by Seth Godin? Check out a Blinkist seven-day free trial so you can have access to the entire library of more than 2,500 summaries. Their app is well-designed, and you can export the summaries to your Kindle, or you can do what I do is listen to the audio while I'm reading the Blinks before bed to get that extra reinforcement of those ideas. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find our affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to help support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist. John loves Blinkist. And we are confident that most of our listeners will love them too. Like I said, the link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. You know, one of the things you talked about is this concept of ownership. And your book is so good. And you have a chapter on here and engaging your employees. It's called Managers Push and Leaders Inspire. And I would love for you to share from your perspective, Horace, to a lot of people in other industries, businesses, you know, across the board, what do you think it needs uh, to happen, the culture, the environment, how we're leading that actually creates ownership in those people that are on our team? Because oftentimes I see a big lack of ownership in organizations when I'm first brought in? John, I nearly see a total lack. Not on a big one. I nearly see a total lack. I talked very recently to a great organization with whom I'm going to work now in consulting. I asked, what is the vision of the company? And they told me, and the mission, and they told me, and they were very proud of it. And said, is that well known in the organization? Yeah, of course. I went to a number of their stores and asked, what, asked, in each one, a number of employees. What's the vision? Not, I couldn't find one employee who ever heard about the vision of the company. Or even gave you the now, same answer twice, right? You couldn't find <laughs> one. You couldn't find yeah. one. And when I asked about what's the objective of this company, they looked at me as well, I'm silly. I'm only working here. Now, how would we possibly expect that they are aligned to the thinking of the organization, that they have a great environment? It's silly. It starts there. It starts keeping them informed about the company. It starts giving them some elbow room in their areas. Listen to them when they want to tell us how to do the job in their particular area better and easier. 
no, we don't want to listen to that. After all, oh, we're the boss. After all, we, we send a memo from our office and they haven't even seen that work area. Yeah. Yet we know, become experts. And it is also silly. It's called Taylorism, controlling versus involving. Mm. So we make sure we go to the department, we go to the employees and ask. And if there are defects happening in a in work area, we create teams connected to that process to find ways to improve it. What went wrong? Eliminate the, def the root cause. With other words, employees are true part of the organization and they're well informed about the organization. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Otherwise, they're just working for the organization. They're well informed. They understand how the value of the decisions of the organization is of value to them. It's explained. Uh, you know, John Adam Smith wrote a book about, of course, Wealth of Nations. Yes. But he wrote another one about the behavior of the human being. And he came to the conclusion, no different than Aristotle, that human beings cannot relate to orders and directions. And what do we do? We give orders and direction. He said human beings can only relate to objective and motive. Mm. Now, and what do we do? We give orders and direction. We don't give them the objective. We don't give them the motive. We just do it. And that doesn't create a work environment in which people feel, want to do the job rather than have to do the job. A leader is responsible to create an environment in which the employee wants to do the job and not controlling where the, the manager controls and makes and make sure they have to do the job. The leader creates an environment in which they want to do the job. Excellently, by the way. Yes, and you know, that's what I would call almost uh, building a spirit in an organization of intrapreneurship, right? Because an entrepreneur, yeah, yeah. right, you own it. Excellent. I mean, everything that I do, if I don't do it, this, you know, as we started a company, it didn't happen. And in a larger organization, if you can instill that sense of ownership, and I think that's a big part of the leadership <laughs> crisis, what a lot of people have been taught on how to lead, command, control, even yeah, the whole yeah, concept yeah. of servant leadership, people don't know how to implement it well. So I'll be command control, and I'll kind of get things working, and then I'm like, okay, well, now I just need to empower my people more. But they haven't really been taught how to empower them well because they don't have the right knowledge or training or experience to be able to you know, delegate or just to release into a job. And so all of a sudden, results yeah. kind of fall apart. And then all of a sudden, I snap back into my command control because my results. And all of a sudden, I call that the schizophrenic yeah. leadership yeah. model, right? Because people don't, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> people don't have the skill set. Or no, a lot of our leaders right now have not been taught actually what it really looks like. Like what you're saying is like, how do I connect to the objective and the motive and actually really see the value in the individual that's maybe working with me or reporting to me versus looking that's at right. that person as somebody who has to accomplish something so I don't get in trouble. You said that this is a fascinating thing if I tell you this here. In every hotel, the third day, I sat down with each department, talking about servant leadership here. Yeah, okay. yeah. I sat down with each department. It's not about me, it's about the department. I sat down with each department. Mind you, in every culture that we worked, in many cultures, it all was the same. And I asked each, each department, now that may have been 
the, the marketing department or the dishwashing department, dishwashers, mind you, or the housekeepers, the maids. I sat down with each one separately, the department. And then I asked them, and I, the manager was sitting by, but I told the manager not to say a word, just sit by. I only want the employees to work with me. And I said to the employees, what do you want your department to be six months from now? Mm. And they all answered the same thing all around the world. Each department, each culture, they said, we want to be the best. I said, oh, that's interesting. You want to, now, this is the employee speaking, John. It's not the manager speaking. Right. So I asked them, define this for me, the best. And they defined it in a way I couldn't have defined it better. We want to be efficient. We want to be respected. We want to, all these things that you would not, nearly not dare to ask a dishwasher group. They said that. When they were finished after about one hour discussion, and I wrote it all on a flip chart, I told the manager, stand up, and I said, employees, guys, ladies and gentlemen, this is your manager. Now let me tell you why he is here. And manager, you better hear me very careful. Mm -hmm. The manager is here to help you to accomplish this. He is here to assist you to accomplish your mission of being the very best in your department. But in order to make sure it happens, he cannot compromise it. For one or two, he cannot compromise it. You have decided you want to be the best and he is here to help you accomplish it. And then is, that means he's a servant leader. Well, yeah, a servant leader. But the other thing, this gets back to the concept you talked about before, two things, ownership and empowerment. Because in asking the question versus telling them, right, in being directive, here's what I expect of you, right? Dishwasher group, I expect yeah. you to be the best. And here's how you're going to do it. That yeah. is very different than having a employee sit down and you asking the question. They came up with it. Now, guess what? Absolutely. They're totally involved. They're talking about how, their ideas on how to do it. They have the ownership. They know that they have some empowerment. They were just told that this guy right here, he's not going to compromise, but he's here to help you succeed. And all of a sudden, That's you right. completely change the dynamic of how these guys are showing exactly. up. Exactly. By the way, when somebody screamed out first, I want to be the best. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You all have to agree because you're all together. And I said, do you really all want to be the best? And I, can, I can't tell you what, what enthusiasm. They all scream, yes. First day of work, second day of work, or third day of work. There is enthusiasm. And they understand. And I explained to, explain to them that, that now you have a vision. You're not just working anymore. You're coming here to be the best. And you get rewards from that, etc. So I'm aligning them to the more divide that is a, not only a good idea, but the motive of it fulfills your motive of success, etc. And then here's the manager. He's not here to just control you and tell you what to do. He's here to help you to accomplish that. But of course, because you all want it, he cannot compromise it. That's right. And did you take the next step of, okay, let's say I'm the dishwashing group in the in the big, you know, the kitchen, right? The kitchen staff. And we want to be the yeah. best, how we define that. Did yeah. you take some time to also tie in how them being the best team 
in that role also fits in with the overall vision for that property for Ritz Carlton. Oh, oh, oh. Could you talk a little oh, bit about clearly. how you did that? Because I think a lot of leaders skip that step. Yeah, oh, clearly we showed them. We keep on. We kept on reminding and having in front of them. In in most cases, written on a big board in the room when we had a meeting that we want to be the global leader in the service industry. We had explained already. If we're the global leader, then we. That means growing, that, which in turn means opportunity for all. That means respect for all. That means uh, honor for all, etc., etc. That means more income eventually. We shouldn't. Then we show them, okay, here you have now a vision. That is the, a mission for your department. And we wrote it down. And it was done, by the way, after I finished with it, they finished with it, it was discussed every four weeks and reminded what, what their dream was. We showed them how it connects to the company vision, how it all goes together. And if we accomplish that, how we all benefit. And how did we benefit, John, for a moment? I went to a five-star award dinner where all the great hoteliers from around the world are. And I was was told that I'm in the room. And they all stood up and applauded. Mm -hmm. Whom did they really applaud? Did they applaud me? No. They applauded the image of Ritz-Carlton which was created by those busboys and waiters and dishwashers and everybody created that image. And I benefit from it, but so did they. Because, John, just as we explained in the beginning, everybody will benefit from it. Because if today, even today, if a Ritz-Carlton employee looks for a job and there are 100 others, the Ritz-Carlton employee gets it because of the image that Ritz-Carlton has. And they understood that, they bought in. And they put in in an environment of being ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen with excellence and be proud. They, they were pride. We created pride for everybody. Well, and, and why not? That can be done in every business. Yes. And, and this approach, Horst, comes come directly from how Christ led, right? For how yeah. he modeled it to us. And can you share how your faith kind of intersected with this? Because one thing I do want to remind everybody is growing up in Germany, you had this vision of being in a hotel, of starting a five-star hotel, and you started way back in the early 80s. Ritz-Carlton wasn't even a thing, and it grew into a, you know, a global leader because you had an idea, and you implemented everything that we're hearing about. You started at one property, and then it grew to another and another, And because I, I want to use that as an encouragement. for There's a lot of people out there who have some big dreams and passions, Right. And that, you know, creating something extraordinary is absolutely possible. Right. But I would love for you to talk about how you wove your faith in here, because I know at the end of, you know, recently in your career, you you had quite a own your own personal crisis that really brought some of this home. Yes. But before, John, I said before your vision and your vision of the organization isn't good for all concerned. I agonized about that. Is it good for the employee? Is this good? And because I knew it will be my guiding line forward. But I also asked myself, would God approve? And Mm -hmm. very clearly, I saw a clear yes, because it was serving everyone. It was serving everyone. I have to, as a leader, I have to question myself, am I really serving everyone with my objectives? And of course, God would approve. So I asked that. And of course, something that drove me Moving, mind you, I come from a hierarchy background. Mm-hmm. I come from a hierarchy generation, 
and from a hierarchy background from Germany, frankly. Yeah. And so I had to step out of that. But I can tell you, once I realized, I had read it before, mind you, but I had years and years ago, I, had to, I read again when the apostles asked Jesus about the most important commandment, mm. love your God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. And when I contemplated that, that was a, a unbelievably huge demand. Wait a minute, everybody around me, Yes, you should at least come closer. I don't think we ever can do it, but at least we should try. And aren't your employees your neighbors? Yes. Or are they some slave that you got in there? They're your neighbors. So how can I serve them as and honor them as my neighbor? First of all, be sure that I combine my purpose with theirs and give them value in my purpose and make it theirs. Offer them that and create an environment. But I cannot compromise that for nobody, not for the investor, not for the other employees. So my leadership role was very clear from that moment on. Mm. It's a very, very decent, of course, as I expressed on the very end of my book, because I want to serve in that way too in that book. And I truly want to serve in that book, but also in a spiritual way. I tell my story that I had cancer, and I was given a year, by the way, and that's 25 years ago. In various, I went to MD Anderson, to John Hopkins, and Mayor Clinton. Everybody gave me eight months to a year. Believe me, when that happens, your ego, everything worldly is stripped away from you and it leaves room for God to enter. The experience is unbelievable. It's maybe the best experience. Oh, not maybe. It was the best experience I had in my life because I actually got got closer to God. And it's it's there and it becomes very, very clear. You're not in charge. God is in charge. You're not in charge. It becomes so clear, everything. And in that moment, if God is in charge, then that, then love your neighbor as yourself becomes even clearer too. So there is no doubt in my mind that as a leader of an organization, you have to agonize. Are your decision good for all concerned? That's the agony. God wants you to do that. And, and would it please God? So as you went through that cancer, because you said before we started recording, that it was a very difficult time, but it's also a time that you would never, ever take back. It's not something you would say, okay, God, you know, don't have me go through this. What's the reason that you said that, Horst? Well, because the closeness you found and the relationship you find with God, with Jesus at that time, is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you move from, and I'm, I'm hesitant saying that because people rejected often, but I can't help it. Everybody's belief is a very unique belief and it comes from different reasons. It evolves, but it's also a decision. Either that decision evolves to believe or to not to believe. I made a decision to believe long before that. And, but during that time, I had confirmation that I cannot even describe it's not possible to describe. And the relationship with God became so close. So with other words, I believe that God knocked on my door mm-hmm. and said, 
hey, I have not loud. This time I have to lock, knock louder so that you really listen to me. And I believe he did that. So I have to thank God for that. You know, I have to thank God that he gave me a chance to really see him, to really see him not through my egos and through and, and my worldly stuff and not try to prove to the world that I'm something. I realized at that time I'm nothing. I'm only can be somebody in God. And that's why I'm so grateful that I had that moment. Yeah, I, I thank you for sharing that. I, I remember when... I was laying in the bed after my accident, which I ended up being in the hospital for two years. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. when they did my first brain surgery, Horst, I, I was convinced that it was the end, right, from what the doctor, the yeah. neurosurgeon was telling my wife. And I yeah. started thinking of this concept of inheritance, right? That's what you leave to people, right? You and I have been yeah, in business. Yeah. We've done things, right? So people are going to get money and properties and things like this. But I started yeah. thinking of it yeah. from a different perspective, saying, okay, what have I left in people? You know, have I lived my life so the use of my life would outlive my life? Have I left something in others that would actually impact them in a positive way, especially from a kingdom perspective, that would continue on well after I'm gone? And that's honestly where myself, I was really convicted, but that even though I'd been successful in business, that is really to a large extent, not how I'd lived my life. And that's actually, it was with that moment that I, I dedicated my life, like, Lord, you've given me the second chance to completely rewrite the script. And I didn't know that I had permission to rewrite the script before that moment. Wow, yeah. And Father God and I together have rewritten the script. And now just I'm excited every day that I'm actually building a legacy. But I'm just thinking, you know, in your hotel, you bring in a young kid who barely graduates high school and he's working in the kitchen and he's part of an extraordinary organization and he now starts to get a a sense of self-worth and identity and all of a sudden he's awarded for accomplishments he's awarded for being amazing at being a dishwasher which creates a shift in how he sees himself and that could be the person who's the you know leading the next movement or company you know 10 and 15 years down the road so you know the things that you're doing and just loving others through what you're doing your business and how you're teaching now so the book it's a phenomenal book everybody it's called excellence wins a no nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise by Horst Schulze and Horst you know just as we wrap up is there any way just people can either connect with you or just final thoughts you have that you'd like to lead us with? Well, yes. My final thought is simply that everybody, it's very easy. You start with making a decision, everything, and your belief and what you do every day. Make a decision for excellence. You don't spend more time. It's just a decision, and that takes work. The only work it takes is in your mind, remind yourself all the time to keep yourself at excellence. You can, by the way, if you get the book, there is inside there are some, uh, it's through Amazon, it is available in the bookstores. Inside there is also a point where you can get in touch in case you want to take this further. There's a point in there, John. So thank you for having me. It was a was a pleasure to be with you, John. Yes, it was great to be with you, and you are welcome back on anytime, Horst. Love to. I love to, John. <laughs> 